from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour, Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez is the company. Draft is in town. First pick coming up on Thursday. We'll be live at Silver Sevens on Thursday. And then Friday we'll be at Crazy Horse 3. We're going to give it away another uh, table VIP treatment for Crazy Horse coming up later this hour. We got a lot to get into with the Knights hitting the ice here in just a couple of seconds. Puck drops at 5.30. Uh, more on Darren Waller and that Green Bay Packers stuff that came down yesterday. Much to get to in a very busy 5 o'clock hour. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Around the Knights is they have to win out. They have to, and they have to beat Dallas tonight uh, as they're going head-to-head for a playoff spot. But the other story is just how the Robin Leonard thing was managed. We'll get to that in a little bit. But bottom line, Robin Leonard's done for the year. It sucks. Uh, he you know, clearly had some issues with his lower body. As it turns out, he had a shoulder issue. Willie, do you think... Is the team in a position now where they can actually rally around this and use it as some motivation down the stretch? You already have max motivation with, hey, get it done or you're not making the playoffs. But now Leonard was out there, beat the hell for months, and now he's down for the season. Can they get even more fired up? Well, I I don't know if this situation fires them up. I don't know if it adds to it any more than, you know, I, it's sort of the, one of the quotes that was given last week or a week and a half ago when he said, you know, you don't need more motivation than we already have. We, you know, we're playing for our playoff lives. <clears throat> they've made the playoffs all four seasons they've been in the NHL, and this would be the first time that they didn't make it. So I don't think that they need any more. If anything, it's it's not that it's added motivation. I think it's less of a distraction in terms of just that outside noise um, that was asked to a couple of the players after the loss to San Jose. Said, well, it wasn't a distraction for us, but it was for you guys. But in reality, it's still sort of sitting there. It's lingering. It's an issue because it's your starting goaltender. Logan Thompson's not the starter. Robin Leonard is. Robin Leonard's the guy who replaced the face of this franchise. So when a report comes out in February by Frank Cervelli saying that he could need shoulder surgery, he said he didn't say he was going to. He said could need possible uh, shoulder surgery in February. Leonard came out and denied it, calling him Dr. Cervarelli. And then you had uh, March with the kneecap. And then Emily Kapp and and, uh, Athletic and ESPN, Jesse saying that it was lower body the other day he was going to have season-ending surgery. My belief is that he's got problems with both. He needs work on both. And... I think the team purposely went the opposite with the announcement on what was put out because in no way, shape, or form do they want to make the media look like they know what they're doing. And that's why we got the press release that said he's having season-ending surgery on his shoulder and not on his leg. But in reality, I think he's got to get both issues fixed. Well, they should be very proud of themselves because after last year and last offseason when a lot of fans developed a real distrust of their organization – they did themselves no favor this season with how they managed this, no, which they, is not is not really a good way. And I'm not I'm not going to say a way to treat the fans, but they are your customers, and there is some real cynicism now amongst VGK fans with the way this whole thing was handled this year with Robin Leonard. Yeah, 
And, and, and a lot of it has to do with if it's the salary cap issue that took place in terms of them not being able to bring him uh, or, or put him or let him go on to, you know, the other day. Right. Um, and it's just that's just a that's a microcosm of how this has been handled. But a lot of it has to do with the salary cap and the fact that Bill Foley has been wanting to go out and get the shiny new toys. And Kelly McCrimmon has gone out and as the GM and the decision maker. And, and when George McPhee was the general manager, McCrimmon was largely known as the guy who was doing the legwork for the talent. So, you know, McCrimmon and Foley's minds in getting these high-priced, shiny new toys, a la Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, Jack Eichel, all these big-name guys, and Robin Leonard, has put them in this position. And, oh, by the way, when this season's over – they're going to be about $9 million over the salary cap. So just to get under that, just to barely get under, they're going to be short on the roster. So now you're short on the roster and you got to fill the roster. You got to get rid of more players in order to add players to stay within the salary cap. So it's a big mess and it's a disservice to, in my opinion, it, it really is a disservice to, to Robin Leonard because we don't know the real story because they won't let him talk. They won't tell us what's going on. They won't, they won't tell anyone. And, if they want to say it's none of our business, hey, well, then that's great. But guess what? You got 18,500 people that go in that arena every home game or close to it that are paying top dollar for increased season tickets every single season and your apparel and everything else that you owe it to them. End of story. The NFL draft is in town. There's a ton of parties going I'll go through some of the parties throughout the 5 o'clock hour today. But I noticed that the uh... – SI draft party is here. That's at Tao's uh, Hakkasan nightclub at MGM. Apparently, Rich Paul is in town. He's got clients like LeBron, Ben Simmons, Anthony Davis, John Wall, Draymond Green won't be available. But they've booked Tao nightclub for uh, Thursday for the clutch sports group party. I wonder if Darren Waller will be there. And I wonder if there's been some conversation like, hey, bro, you better go tell the Raiders you ain't playing for $7 million a year. What would happen if Clutch tomorrow released a statement? Waller sitting out until a new deal is done. Because I see everyone has wanted to put the Waller to the Packers thing to bed today. You do realize game changer, right? That's when everything changes if Waller's like, I ain't playing for seven mil a year, I'm worth fifteen a year, I need an extension. Let's go, Raiders. If Darren Waller this is my personal opinion on Darren Waller and that if that were to happen, if Darren Waller were to if those words were to come out of his mouth or there was a statement issued to the Las Vegas Raiders in that manner, it's coming from his agent and his team. It is not coming from Darren Waller. I don't see that in his character. I do not think that Darren Waller Given everything that this guy's been through and he's overcome, okay, let's not forget what he's overcome in abuse, substance abuse, and 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 being that he was an addict and he's out there as a major, major proponent and, and advocate to speaking to others. Um, I just so don't does, think that does he does he owe the Raiders for affording him the opportunity? How long does he owe him for? When is it time to go get that bread? No, I don't think that he's – I don't think – I'm not saying that he owes it to him so he wouldn't be a holdout in that manner. I'm just saying that it's not in his 
it doesn't seem like it's in his genetic code to be the type of guy to do that. I think that he's, con- I think he's, con- I think he knows what he's worth. I think he, and I, but I also think that he's the type of guy to say, all right, I'm going to gamble on myself. And when I go out and kick ass next season, then you're going to pay me. I could also see that. Or if they're not, guess what? He's going to be worth a ton more. I mean, <laughs> I just don't see that he's going to, I just don't see that happening unless his agent pushes for that. I just don't see that in him. Now, business is business, and they're seeing all these deals being made, and Carr comes in and says, well, I took, I structured my deal, and it's not guaranteed after the first year, and so we can keep this player and this player. And by the way, he didn't mention Darren Waller in that list. But then yesterday he tweets, that's not going to happen, or whatever it was he said, whatever it was that he tweeted. Um, you know, I, I there's a part of it maybe, maybe he feels, but – I, I just don't think that that's on his agenda. Coming up next, let's get the uh, college end of things in terms of analysis on many of these top players in the draft. Matt Barry uh, calls college football games, college football anchor for ESPN. He's up on Cofield and Company. The Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. He's a winner. He had a winner mindset, so he's willing to sacrifice whatever and do whatever so that way the team that he's on can win. Like I said, he's he the type of guy you want to be around outside of football also. You know, and um, there's not nothing that's really bad about him. He studies the game. He knows everything. He knows his football for sure, so he do everything right. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Sauce Gardner with Mark Scott. Bart doing his shows from uh, ESPN Las Vegas this week as uh, Sauce was talking about Desmond Ritter. So we've been previewing the draft by talking to uh, you know a bunch of the people on the pro side. I wanted to get the college angle from Matt Barry, who's with ESPN, get his take on some of the players. Matt, how you doing? It's Steve and Willie here in Las Vegas. Yeah, Steve and Willie, good talking to you guys. It's a uh, it's a great week, I know, for the NFL, but from, from the college perspective, the, these players we cover – um, throughout their college career, finally get to hear their name call. That's what makes, to me, the draft one of the best nights of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, dreams come true. Before we analyze some players, I do want to go straight to college football and get your take on the feel, the vibe, maybe the new setup around USC football, because I know uh, you were calling the spring game. Yeah, did uh, did Alabama two weeks ago, did USC this last weekend, so you get an idea of the talent that's out there, and and there's a lot of energy around Lincoln Riley and USC. Uh, getting Caleb Williams to come over with him from Oklahoma. He brought his top receiver, Mario Williams, with him. They connected for a pair of touchdowns in the spring game. And so you guys know this. USC is, is based on star power. Back in the Matt Liner, Reggie Bush era, it was solely based on star power. And so I think with Lincoln coming over, you've got a star coach. You've got your star quarterback. You got a good running back in Travis Dye. You got another one in Austin Jones. You've got the pieces offensively to make a run. How do you complement it with guys up front on the defensive side of the ball? But I'd say right now, at least from an energy and optimism perspective, USC is feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, and I think the big thing, you know, here in Vegas, we're mostly you know Mountain West. Although we host the uh, Pac-12 um, championship game, and we have a lot of alums who went to Pac-12 schools. But f- for us, uh, it feels like you know. Pacific time zone football has been kind of dissed the last 10 or 15 years, not getting a whole lot of respect. I think that's the biggest thing with Lincoln Riley coming west is it raises the bar for everyone. Now everyone's got to deliver, but now there's a a higher standard, I think, for the major programs around the west. Yeah, and you're right. I'm an Arizona State alum, so I'm a Pac-12 guy. And so, you know, I get it. 
I, I've always been one of those that's been realistic. I was born and raised in Scottsdale, Arizona, went to Arizona State. That's been the only football that I grew up with. And for, for me, it, it's hard to admit, but it, the Pac-12 goes as USC goes. National respect for the conference isn't going to be there if USC isn't a dominant power. And look, Oregon had a good run. Washington had some years. Stanford's had some years. ASU went to the Pac-12 championship, won the Pac-12 South uh, with Todd Graham, and we thought they were on the way with Herm Edwards. But you can't get respect top to bottom as a conference if you don't have a top-heavy team. And that's always been about USC. So until they're back in the national conversation, the Pac-12 is going to be one of those leagues where we, they kick off 10:30 Eastern on ESPN. And not many people are going to know about it because they don't have that one team that the Pac-12 can pin their playoff hopes on. Does it matter? You mentioned Alabama. Does it matter that there's a smattering of fans uh, at a lot of the West Coast spring games? And it wasn't the biggest crowd there at the Coliseum. Meanwhile, you're seeing, you know, Oklahoma's got like 75,000. Nebraska's got like 50,000. Does it matter? Can you win football when fans aren't fired up to come out to the spring game? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, I, honestly, I think USC put out that they set a record for their spring game, which was, was wow. thirty five thousand. Yeah, I, I think that's what we saw. And, and I was, you know, being down there on the field before the game, the band was out there, I and mean, it had a good atmosphere. But we had talked about it with Lincoln in our production meeting that you know when you're in Oklahoma, Oklahoma football is everything. I mean, that is the sport of record in the state of Oklahoma. That's the team of record in the state of Oklahoma. So you're in a fishbowl of sorts that no matter what, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you belong to Oklahoma football. And I asked Lincoln, I was like, look, no disrespect, you could go to probably 85% of the restaurants in this area and no one would know who you are. And he's like, exactly, because there's so much going on. That's a good end. That's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is you can kind of live in anonymity and build a power while no one's watching. The curse is that you need to get those people's attention to show up at the Coliseum L.A. is one of those towns, if you're winning, you're in. They've got the Super Bowl champion right in their own backyard. And so I think with the West Coast, there's just other things going on. It's, it's bigger cities, bigger markets, and if you win, they show up. That's not necessarily a great thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not like these southern schools and these smaller college towns like Clemson, like Tuscaloosa, like Baton Rouge, like Athens, where everything revolves around the college town and the university. It's just a different way of going about things. But again, if USC's beating people and they're winning non-conference games and they're back on top, people will start paying attention to the Pac-12 as a whole. And that's why that team and that university is so important to the national landscape of, of the conference. Well, I mentioned Lincoln Riley was great for, uh, you know, Western Pacific time zone football. I also think it's great for rivalries because Oklahoma has not dealt with it well, right? They, this, the state has not dealt with it well. And I don't know how much you pay attention to it. I know he's not with ESPN anymore, but we run like everyone. We have ESPN Las Vegas. We got Fox Sports. So we're big fans of Colin Cowherd. And to me, Colin has clearly hitched his wagon to USC and is busting horns on a bit, you know, getting after Norman and Oklahoma. And I saw last week, like, Dusty Dvorak was going yeah. after Colin. I'm like, guys, do you not get what he's doing? This is a bit. It's all for, you know, college football kind of flamethrowing here. This is fun. It's what college football is. I've told this to anyone who will listen. And I know we've got the NFL draft on ESPN. We've got an amazing crew out there doing the draft for us. But I will die on this hill. There is nothing more passionate in football than college football. 
and the rivalries and the traditions and the tailgating and the smack talking and the flame throwing. You can't flame throw in the NFL. It just doesn't sound as good. But yeah. when you're Colin Cowherd planting your flag in the ground for USC and tweaking everyone else, guess what those other fan bases do? They come right back. You don't see that as much in the NFL. And this is from a guy who traveled with the Dallas Cowboys for five years working in Dallas at the NBC station. So I've seen both sides of it, and there's nothing better than the passion that surrounds college football fan bases. Now, as someone who works in college football at ESPN, sometimes you're a target of a lot of that passion from the fans, but I know it comes from a passionate place. That's what makes the sport so special is that you can literally hang on to your school, your town, your team, and that's all that matters. And there's just something different between that and the NFL. And I'm just one of those that sides with college 365 days a year. Speaking to ESPN college football analyst Matt Berry. Matt, and speaking about shedding the spotlight on college football, last year not one historically black college player was drafted. Today, um, I believe, or yesterday, Deion Sanders comes out with his quote-unquote prime prospects, says there could be 16 players from 12 historic black colleges. I mean, someone who's pumping up college football – Shedding a spotlight that way, that's got to be fantastic in terms of bringing them into bringing those colleges into the spotlight with the NFL draft in Las Vegas. Uh, can you just touch on that in, in his his work that he's done, obviously at one school as the head coach, but representing all 12? Yeah, and, and I think that, that you make a good point because what Dion has done is he has put uh, historically black colleges in a spotlight being the head coach of Jackson State and what he's been able to do, sign the number one recruit in the country, I got him to go to Jackson State, which really put them in a different spotlight. But anytime you have a guy with Deion Sanders' wattage to support something that hasn't gotten the most coverage, what's that going to do? That's going to turn attention to some of the players within those colleges and universities. And that's all you need. You need one guy that's got star power and knows the sport to start getting people to start paying attention, watching games they may not otherwise watch. Like, well, wait a second. That guy's a pretty good football player. Turn the tape on it. Let me, let me see that kid again. And then you start getting it. Well, wait a second. I want to watch the young coach. We'll go watch him play their opponent. You, you, you find a guy within that game that's got skills. That's how, that's how a lot of the recruiting works. You could go be recruiting a five-star quarterback. Coaches are sitting there at a game just because you've got the attention of the star you find three players on the roster that, that might fit better than the star. And so that's what Dion's doing. He's using his wattage to get attention to HBCUs, and within that process, scouts and talent evaluators are starting to find that there's some really, really good football being played there, and a lot of kids are going to benefit from them. And I think that's why Dion's great for the sport, and I hope he continues to be great for the sport. Let's talk about some of the prospects in the draft and, and get your you know your college side uh, take on this one. There are a lot of people who think Hamilton at safety might be the best player in the draft, but they just don't want to justify taking him, you know, with a top three pick. What do you think? Yeah, Kyle, look, he's a player. I mean, he is an absolute player. I Look, I this is no knock on Kyle Hamilton or any of these other players. Uh, this isn't the year you want the number one overall pick. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson's a great player, but to have the number one overall pick this year, typically there's some there's some sizzle around the the bona fide 
number one pick. You can make an argument for Ikea Kwanu out of NC State, Evan Neal, another tackle out of Alabama. You mentioned uh, Kyle Hamilton. We, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's been the number one guy for quite some time. But it's a draft full of good football players. Does that make sense? Everybody wants to talk about franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback. You're going to get a lot of substance in this draft. So I don't think there's going to be a quarterback taken for a while. And by a while, I think below 10 in an NFL draft is a while. And so if you want to build up front offensive line, if you want to build a pass rush defensive line, you want to shut down corner like Sauce who you guys had coming on from break, you can get you can get good on defense, you can get a game-breaking receiver. A guy like Garrett Wilson, I think, is going to come in right away. We've had people say that Chris Olave is one of the best route runners we've seen in quite some time. And then Drake London from USC, he was out at the spring game the other day. We were talking to him. There's a lot of pieces you can build immediately, whereas with a quarterback, you're going to take Malik Willis. You've got, you got to expect to give him a couple of years to grow. You've got to take Kenny Pickett. You've got to expect a couple of years for him to grow, whereas some of these guys I just listed off, they could probably come in, get through training camp, and week one make an immediate impact. Do you believe any of the quarterbacks are eight, nine, ten-year starters in the NFL? So I called a couple of pit games last year, and I would say with Kenny Pickett, He's a player, he's incredibly accurate. He's one of those guys that can have a nice NFL career. Desmond Ritter has some X factors to his game. Malik Willis is electricity waiting to happen. But, I mean, I don't have the numbers on me, but you guys know what happens when you draft a quarterback. I mean, it it has to be. And, again, this is pure speculation. It's got to be damn near around 50-50, whether the guys hit or they don't. I mean, we've seen the latest example of with Baker Mayfield, a number one overall pick. We don't know what his NFL future holds. And we see this all the time. Trevor Lawrence is in a, in a, a better situation now in Jacksonville, but you don't know if that's going to hit because he went to the wrong spot. And so with, an, with a, a quarterback, it's a crapshoot. But I think, I think Kenny Pickett, from what I saw calling his games, I think he's got the potential because of the way he places the ball they're going to knock you dead with arm strength, but a lot of times you just need to know a quarterback that can read the defense, put the ball in the receiver's hands, and put the ball in the right read to have a nice NFL career, and I think he could be one of those guys. Matt Barry's with us. Last couple questions, Matt, from ESPN, covers college football. Uh, there is a 1,200-yard back in this draft, if not a couple. So who's the running back you saw where you're like, that is going to be a guy, that's going to be a dude in the NFL? Yeah, running back's always fun, right? Because we've had one of those uh, times where uh, Mel Kuyper and those guys are uh, notorious for saying, oh, you don't take a running back in the first round. You don't take a running back in the first round. So you can get value in a, in a, in a brief hole out of Iowa State. He had a great career. He's a guy that could be good. We saw Kenneth Walker transfer portal. Michigan State took them to a, a, a big season. But for me... There are two guys that I think could be home run hit. I think Zamir White out of Georgia. I think he could be a home run in the NFL. And I don't mean to be a homer, but I think Rashad White out of Arizona State could be a very special back in the NFL with his ability not only to run between the tackles, but he's really good out of the backfield. He could be a receiver on third down. I would look for Zamir and Rashad White if you start getting these guys later in the draft to come into a camp and really start turning heads. Those are two guys that I, I would look at to have some solid NFL careers. Yeah, I knew Rashad White at least had the measurables when because uh, I was down there for UNLV in Arizona State, and uh, Herm Edwards in the preseason was talking about 
about him uh, having physical traits like Marcus Allen. I'm like, well, that's that's a little much, but I, I get why he would be attractive to the National Football League. Yeah, he's set up perfectly for it, and he's he has the the, the he's very smart. He's very smart with how he plays football, and he's one of those players. And and you, I mean, you guys know this being in Las Vegas now as an NFL team and just covering the NFL. Typically, rare is the day where your star running back was a first-round draft pick, right? I mean, they're in the league. They're out there. But typically, you have a running back that comes out of nowhere that was a second, third, fourth, fifth-round pick. And that's the value of a running back nowadays in the NFL. If you can address other needs early and go pluck a Zamir White or go pluck a Rashad White later in the draft, or even a guy like Kyron Williams at a Notre Dame, if you find one of these guys late, you could hit a home run with a running back in the middle round of the draft, which I think a lot of these teams are going to look to do here in the next few days. Matt, thank you so much. We appreciate all the knowledge, and hopefully we can talk to you closer to the college football season. That was great. It's legitimately my favorite city in America. I've got family out in Summerlin, so I'm a frequent visitor to Las Vegas. It was just there in March, so I look forward to getting back there soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, fellas. There he is, Matt Barry. I didn't want to drop it on him, but I think, Willie, I think I I think I had Thanksgiving dinner one year with his parents. Cool. But that would have been a weird one to just, like, bring up randomly. So you bring it up with me? Well, I just bring it up with him off the air. I, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll, I, I we'll confirm that. that. We'll confirm that at some point. They were lovely people, <laughs> and they loved their son. They talked about him a lot. They did. Did they say their son, Matthew, or just their son? No, they told me who he was. So then you it's know just, that he did. What do you mean? I think I had dinner with him. Five years you know ago, you had dinner with him. It was five years ago. My memory. I think I good. had things. I'm not sure, but I think. And I then think they, they bragged about their son that they're proud of. It could have been. I don't know. It could have been part of the Berman family. I, I did Barry Berman. I get confused <laughs> with it. The B names. And, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens at running back. Because I, I will guarantee you, there's a couple of guys out of this draft who are going to be studs. Yeah, but. The NFL's kind of smartened up. They know this is uh, it's an expiring deal with running backs in terms of their life uh, at the pro level, so they don't want to spend anything higher than a second or third or fourth round pick on uh, running backs. And hell, we're we're going to see you know the next couple of years we'll see if Ramondre Stevenson works out for the Patriots. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, there's no choice now. We have to find the confidence, even if it's not there individually. Every person has to find that confidence. And I thought we played a strong game there up until we let two in. And uh, that's on everybody. And, and we got to know that we're capable of winning those games, closing out those games. You know, it's not going to be easy here these last three games. we got to play right till the very end and give ourselves a chance. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Max Patch ready. The Knights are just getting started here against the Stars. All the coverage over on Fox 1340 and 98.9 FM, our sister stations. Uh, Giveaway time right now. Draft is in town. Great Friday draft viewing party. We'll be there at 3 o'clock with the live co-field and company. There is Crazy Horse 3. It's Crazy Horse 3 on Russell right across from Allegiant. Right now, caller 7364-1100. Gets free admission for up to four people. VIP seating. Free bottle as well. It is an awesome place to watch a draft on both Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Hell, it's a, one of the best places in town just to go and party in general. It's Crazy Horse 3 on Russell, 364-1100.
The party, and I'm not sure how many parties you've seen details on, Willie. Uh, the party that you're most excited for, I'll give you the two things I'm really fired up for. Well, three. Um, I want to try and see Ice Cube on Friday. Uh, if I had the time, I would go to Gronk's Beach Party. Uh, that's going to be an Encore Beach Club on Friday. And, you know, it's not technically a draft party, but I'm really excited the Palms is coming back. And they're going to open things up tomorrow night, 9 o'clock. Ownership has changed hands. It took a while to get the place open again, get it all approved by gaming. Um, I think the Palms is one of the cooler places, even though it's a newer place. Las Vegans are probably like, or I'm sorry, uh, transplants are probably like newer. Yeah, it actually is. It actually is a newer place, but it was always a cool spot, and uh, it was kind of depressing to see it close for so long. So I'm excited that it's opening back up. It was definitely my spot when it opened. I remember when that lot was dirt um, for the longest time in the late yeah, 80s, used early to park, 90s. You used to park at Pinkies and and look to the west, and you're like, wow, that could be a great. Also, before, no, Pinkies wasn't around. I used to park at Tramps on Flamingo in Arville and look all the way down oh, to the right, yeah. To, yeah. yeah, all the way down. And the only thing to the left of that was the Gold Coast, I believe, in 87. So, uh, but the Palms was cool. I was there from day one. Um, was part of a, you could say, a pretty big betting group. Uh, it, it, was still, always, it was always a very hopping sports book at the start. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Our good friend Jeff Sherman was there working with Perry Swanson, and they were very liberal with the limits that they allowed. Um, they drew many big players, um, Tommy Lee and and uh, what's her name? What's the what was his girl's name? The I can't think. Of Pam. Tommy Lee. Yeah. Pam. Yep. Uh, Reggie Jackson used to gamble in there. Pete Rose played the horses in there. He so did. Oh yeah. Um, I was kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, very, very popular book. Um, and like I said, they, 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 here was the best part about this book. The first year or two, you know, cause most sports books, they did not allow player points only if you played horses. And that was because there was so much messenger betting. So they weren't just going to let those player points go. If, if you were a high roller, they knew who you were, you had a good relationship. You could get comps anyway. Palms opened up and they allowed player points and, it spread across the entire hotel, wherever you want to go. If you want to go to the nine, if you wanted to go to the ghost bar, if you wanted to go wherever in the palms, if you want to go to the, to the, to the uh, gift shop where they sold Tommy Bahama shirts, you could use your points there. And uh, I use some points. I still have original chips from the grand opening from the, when they had the playboy club upstairs, I got the playboy uh, chips. I got from when, uh, Third Eye Blind, who had some local, the Fred Nelly brothers from Las Vegas, when they played at the uh, at Rain and different uh, acts would come in there. I still have a collection of $5 chips that they would give away, and they were souvenirs. I still have them from the original Palm. So it was definitely a, a great place. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. 
All right, what do you think, Willie? Desert Dogs, the little cross team. You like it? I do. I'm kind of excited to go out and check it out. I've seen some highlights. I know a couple of club coaches, uh, one guy in town, John Beadle, who is also a chiropractor and and does a lot of sports therapy, um, but he's really into it, and I see on his Instagram story. So I'm kind of excited to see this league. I hope it does well because they they nailed it. I know people complain about all of our mascots and logos and whoever, you know. Our our weird our weird collection of uh, walking mascots as well. So, will you will you get a desert dog hat? Uh, it depends hat on what it looks like. Yeah, it depends on what it, my hat guy. Absolutely, but I'll, I'll have a hoodie. I'll get a hoodie. You are a hoodie guy. I am. I'll get a hoodie because I probably won't cover it, so I'll be able to wear it wherever I go. You know, it's kind of hard to wear VGK or Raider gear when you cover the team. It sort of you know looks a little. Homerish. I could wear UNLV gear probably since I, I went there for a semester or two, but I could get a desert. I could, I could, I could do that. Stick your hand in there, Dave. <coughs> what do you think of the? What do you think of the spring game? I I liked it. I liked the atmosphere. I liked the atmosphere, and I thought that it it got the the players in the mood. I think that the vibe that was created by the fans showing up and um, whoever the MC guy was calling the plays here and there. I thought overall it was, it was, it was exactly what you need. You know what I mean? Um, We talked to Matt Berry just a minute ago about the USC spring game. This is what UNLV's needed. You know what I mean? We were used to going out to rebel park and you're sort of standing around and, but this was the atmosphere that you need to, to sort of build upon and show that it's a big time atmosphere, especially when you have recruits in town. That's the most important part. We talked to Marcus Arroyo this morning, UNLV football coach, and I think that's the that's the main reason why they wanted it at Allegiant, even if it was going to be a small crowd, because he wants transfers, potential transfers, and they actually did have a couple of guys at the game who, you know, committed earlier that day or later in the day. Um, he wanted those those folks to see the stadium. And then I, I don't know if people – well, people aren't going to know this because the, the practices are closed. But between that shindig, the spring showcase at Allegiant, and then all of their practices, they've had dozens and dozens and dozens of visitors on the sidelines from, like, small youth football teams yeah. to, you know, freshmen, sophomore, juniors in high school to kids who are in the portal – um, I think for the wherever they're at right now, like 13 practices, the staff was saying something like they've had 900 people visit. And I'm not saying wow. that they're not all – that's not all recruits, but, like, they, they had a lot of, you know, youth teams and coaches out there. Um, and because of the weather in Vegas, and then when you mix in a, a spot at Allegiant, it's a big deal for them. It's such an advantage to get people to come to Vegas. Like, they had – I think they had at least one football program from uh, the Miami-Dade area in. And Courtney yeah. Reese from down in that area. He's one of their potential starting running backs. So they've been moving people through to kind of see, hey, this is what practice looks like. This is what our facilities look like. So take advantage of the uh, of the FFC over there. Well, and what's important about the 900 or so guests during the spring ball is they turn into fans. And throughout the season – Official visits 
from high school players, they get invited to the game. They get a credential. They're standing on the sidelines or being part of that. You you bring them out to see the you bring out these youth football programs. You bring out the locals to see and build a fan base. They're going to be excited to come to a game or two or get season ticket, whatever it may be. And that's what recruits need to see. They don't want to come and see an unenthusiastic fan base. They want to see an exuberant fan base that's going to back the team that they're going to commit to. Yeah, these are all unofficial. And remember what they were dealing with in the past. What are you going to do? Freaking show off your practice field without the uh, football facility there or bust people out to Sam Boyd five years ago? Right. Now you got, right? The, now you got the football complex. Now you got a legion. And it's all right there in 10 minutes. Right there. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, I went on a show in uh, Boston with one of my pals uh, from, you know, doing radio from a long time ago. And he was asking about the vibe around the draft. So we talked about the draft. But then he also threw in some questions about the Golden Knights. And he was asking how Jack Eichel was working out so far, how Jack Eichel was working out to this point. And I, I, I didn't really have an answer. I'm like, at, right now it's kind of incomplete. I mean, the guy the guy didn't he's, – he's coming off a serious surgery. He didn't really get much of a chance to play with the guys he was supposed to play with on that line. So where do you think Eichel is as the season closes here? I Well, you know, going into this game tonight against Dallas, he ranks third on the team in points – since he made his debut and, you know, behind Marchesaw and Stevenson. And I think a lot of people have been critical of him in the last week because over the last four or five games, he hasn't been much offensive production. But remember, Mark Stone also came back. So you bring back Mark Stone, you brought back Max Pacioretty. It's hard, and I said this earlier in the show, it is hard to have a team full of superstars. Who's supposed to be your scorer? And remember, when Eichel came, the big question came when he when they made the move, the big question was, well, where what line is he going to center? Who is he going to dish to? Yes, he he's a phenomenal puck handler and he can find the angles. We've seen him make some tremendous shots. And there was one shot that he made during the season, and we asked Pete DeBoer, is this why you go and get a guy like Jack Eichel? And he said, Yes, that is why we go get him. But the big thing is his be, being a playmaker and centering guys that can put the puck in the net. So it's not it wasn't necessarily his job to just throw it all on his shoulders. That's the problem with having a team full of superstars. You can very easily place the blame on any number of guys. You can't place can't blame what's taking place this year on a guy that made his debut February sixteenth. Um, you know, I've heard different mixed emotions from around the um, country with my media sources and then local sources in terms of, you know, he wasn't necessarily a locker room guy. He got ostracized a little bit in Buffalo with how he handled the situation and how Buffalo handled him. But from what I understand from local standpoint, from local sources here in town and within the team, Jack Eichel has been nothing more than cordial and very congenial with everybody in the locker room, and he's been a locker room guy. Oh, and by the way, the guy who's supposed to be sort of standoffish and uh, above everybody, so on and so forth, the other night when Logan Thompson went face down and letting in that final goal in the shootout, he was one of two players that went over and helped him up, tended to him while everybody else was sort of wallowing and they were getting ready to do the jersey exchange. The other guy, Robin Leonard. So... I say Eichel needs another shot, another season to, to to engage it. Stick your hand in there, Dave. NBA right now, halftime, Minnesota on top of Memphis, even series air 2-2. It's 55-53. Miami now up nine, five and a half minutes left in the third, 61-52 over Atlanta. Golden Knights 
We were just mentioning the Knights are playing right now. Scoreless. The game is over on 1340 and 98.9 FM. Scoreless with about 11 and a half left in the first. Stick your hand in there, Dave. The draft is going to be the center of our focus here in Las Vegas. But there is actually a fight card going down, Willie. And is uh, Nico Ali Walsh on the card? He is. He's making his debut. Had a chance to uh, get in on the uh, Zoom session yesterday. He spoke to the media along with the headliners, Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson. I'm actually looking forward to this because since the early 90s, boxing has been always been my number one sport. I've loved covering boxing since the early Bo Holyfield days and going to boxing matches since I went to my first one, Ali and Holmes. So I'm looking forward to this match because it has the potential of being the fight of the year. But Nico Ali Walsh, uh, grandson of Muhammad Ali, is making his Las Vegas debut, Gorman product obviously from bishop gorman high school um and he spoke about the pride you know i personally asked him i was like hey is it sort of fair you hear it in the nba you hear it in football there's comparisons right the next michael jordan next kobe bryant the next tom brady the next is and i'm not saying people are saying you're the next muhammad ali but at the same time your genes and they're are they already putting that tag on you is it fair and he said you know i don't really feel it because i look at him like my grandfather uh, yeah, he's going to be obviously because he's my grandfather, he's my favorite boxer, but his favorite boxer to emulate and sort of pattern his style after is Canelo Alvarez. So sort of a, a very mature kid. Um, looking forward to see him make his Las Vegas debut and looking forward to the fight because it is going to be incredible action. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Willie, it's uh, one of the most important days of the year in terms of snacks. National yeah. Pretzel Day. Do you go with a hard pretzel or do you go soft pretzel today? Do you go with mustard? Do you go with beer cheese? I am going to go with those big, fat, hard ones. That I think they're Bavarian. They call them Bavarian. Is it Bavarian? Or they're, oh, yeah. they're the hard ones. But okay. if I do get a soft one, it's got to be cheese. Okay. Are you anti-pretzel bites? No. If I'm in the mall, I might get some pretzel bites. One of those I'm little pro- stops where you get... I'm pro-pretzel. I feel like you get... I'm all about value. I feel like you get gypped a little bit with the pretzel bites. Pretzels are good, especially in, in with car in relation to carbs. Pretzels are okay. 